0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the one and only Mr. Guillaume Baliga. Guillaume, big warm welcome to the show. Hello, Connor. How are you? All good, all good. Um, been down in Miami here the last few days at Soccer X. Of course, we caught up last night at the regatta, Coconut, mm. Her- Coconut Grove, I believe. Very different from the whites of Toronto.
1: Uh- I don't know. You tell me because I've never been to Toronto, but uh, it certainly was a spectacular place. I didn't see much of it because it was dark, but yeah, it was good to see good to see old people. Soccer X is about that, isn't it? A, a, a
0: meeting place of people that you may only see when Soccer X is on. Yeah, of course, and. You know, I was joking with Matt and yourself, I suppose off air, unfortunately, we haven't been blessed with the Miami sunshine as of yet, we have the same no. back in Ireland, you know, the only difference between winter and summer is uh, the warmth of the rain, so <laughs> I'm delighted to be here anyways. And yes, let me see, it's windy at the moment, it's grey, it's raining, so, but we won't tell that when we ring back home. No, that's, Sunny. Why, the, that's why the cameras are faced this way today. <laughs> but anyways, as we begin with every guest that comes on the show, Guillaume. Could you please take us through your earliest football memory?
1: Wow. Um, I think I was, uh, my parents for Christmas bought me a ball. It must have been three or four. There's a picture of it. Perhaps that's why I remember it. And we had, uh, we didn't have a back garden because it was like cemented, but it was perfect for, to play football. So I will be kicking the ball there for, for hours. Uh, I'm with my dad who was a amateur player in a local district in Barcelona and, and that will be it. Just, uh, just the idea that, uh, that you know, the, 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 the excitement of playing with a new ball which um, I think often <laughs> after two or three days of it you get bored and then you move into something else. I did. I mm. didn't stay in football. Football has never been for me. The uh, my biggest passion. I've never been in love with football. Uh, it's it's just a, a way of telling stories. That's what uh, that's what I did. So yeah, after three days, I'll go into the other gifts that I was given for Christmas. Ball, stayed with me for about three days. I didn't do the ten thousand hours. That's why I never became a player. Obviously. Really? No,
0: ten thousand is what you need, isn't it? Here <sighs> and <laughs> here and give. Um But tell us, I mean, you speak about storytelling there. Obviously, an awful lot of people listening to this podcast, they would have become familiar with you through your, I suppose, how synonymous you are with English footballing folklore, with Revista de la Liga and whatnot. Mm. Take us through those early days going from Spain to the UK. So I had a clear idea
1: from the beginning that I needed to get out of my comfort zone, of my surroundings, that I had to learn English. This was really a, a, a big target. I uh, didn't know where that was going to take me, but I knew that that would allow me to open my, my world. So uh, you know the Erasmus grant that hmm. uh, gets given in the European Union for, for kids to travel all over Europe? I got one uh, one friend of mine or somebody from the UK who got one of those grants, came to Barcelona, stayed in my place. We became very close, there, and uh, and when I was finished university around that time, I said, I would like to go to England. I said, well, come over and stay stay with me. He lived in Liverpool. What I wasn't aware is how difficult the accent in Liverpool is. and <laughs> It was going to be three times more difficult to learn English there. I remember the trip from the airport to this guy's house. I was going to stay with his family for about three months. And his dad is from Scotland. <laughs> Strong accent. And he's a Scouser. So I thought, the year and a half that done of English before I came to England, had meant nothing. My teachers were terrible not realizing that actually if you're going to learn english and you're going to do it with a scottish man and a scouser it was going to be <laughs> doubly difficult but uh, I, I could not i couldn't have been more welcomed by the liverpool people I, I i sensed that there was a connection i think you know catholics like we are sense of community family looking after those sure. that don't have so much and I always tell the stories of, uh, of spending, after doing three or four hours uh, learning of English in the morning, then I will go to the pub and, you know, get myself a pint and that pint will be drying in seven hours. And uh, meanwhile, people realize that I didn't have a lot of money at the time and, uh, you know, the, the, the butcher will bring a bit of a steak and yeah, yeah you, can take, you can take this home. Or, or somebody would have done a scouse, you know, stew. And be like look there's a bit for you here and uh, and straight away I felt I felt like home so that was something that always helps and I've had very present when for instance at the club I'm the chairman of Biggles or United we invited Spanish coaches to come over uh, we made sure that they always were welcome and they never felt they were abandoned at any point because I, I, that's what Liverpool did for me and and you know three months I was going to stay there and a year and a half after arriving Alice said to me I thought you were going to be here for three months so I got the, his, the gist of it and uh, and decided to look for an apartment and and leave in England because at that point uh, you know I could have gone back home like many did uh, mm. other students that, that were like oh, I cannot handle the weather I cannot handle this or that I never I never looked around I thought oh uh, this is not what my life should be like or Uh, You know, I prefer whatever I left home. There was none of that. I just went day by day and I enjoyed it got to know more people started developing my my career as a journalist never as a football journalist that came by pure accident and And one thing led to another I you know, I fell in love. I I stayed there got friends Uh, And then that was that was ten years in Liverpool until I was able to move down south where more things were happening
0: And it's interesting because what could be mistaken for a soft landing, I suppose, at the start with the wholeness and the familiness of the community of Liverpool? You know, it was those three months, in fact, a year and a half where I would say you would have learned an awful lot of soft skills, took on a lot of traits and characteristics that would have served you in your 30, 40 plus years in the broadcast industry. No doubt,
1: no doubt. You learn from everywhere. there's there's no doubt about that. But the first thing is once you come out of what you know and you have to adapt, uh, if you don't adapt, you go back home. Mm. That means you're not able to that, to adapt to to see what comes in front of you and to and to beat it. I, I was able to uh, naturally, it, it didn't feel like a hardship at all. Looking back, thinking where, where would that come from? And then I realized, my mother is an immigrant and so is my dad they were they as a teenagers just before they were t- 20 um they 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 got to know each other and got married in barcelona but my dad is from the south of catalonia and my mother left home in the south of spain in andalucia when she was 13 wow. so there the, there is a sense that um that where uh, whatever you are you just have to be to make the most out of uh, mm. and that i had that from from my parents and once you're right once in Liverpool um, helped by that cushion that I sensed around me uh, you learn a lot of things like obviously I didn't have enough English to to start a conversation to even be part of a conversation I will be in surrounded by people and they will be talking at the pace that people talk and uh, and I will lose I will lose the track of what they were talking about while I was trying to Come up with a sentence that makes sense at that point in the conversation, which of course he had moved on. So I learned to look like I knew what I was hearing. <laughs> and I learned to to say yes, yes, yes. And if anybody looked at me and says, What do you mean yes? I would say no, no, no. And just trying to get it right. Um accommodate myself into my surroundings. But as I said, I'd never felt that as a as a difficulty. Uh, or even a challenge or even an adventure mm. uh, i had in my mind that i had to learn english that was the place to do it and meanwhile it was like let, let, let's see what i can do with what i've got around me
0: yeah i mean you mentioned earlier on the air of storytelling and i think broadcasting certainly gives that but the fact of those circumstances life would have given you so many reps you know to bring to mind the man in the arena quote i just want to link that back to football you know you said you were in football left it went to live your life go back into football broadcasting?
1: What brought you back in? There, there, was, there was something that happened as well uh, just before I went to Liverpool, which was 1991. I, um, as a kid in Barcelona, you you tend to be a Barcelona fan. That's mm. it, it's like, it's a given. My dad was an Espanol fan though. So that generally, uh, well, it could be either way, that you become an Espanol fan or that you rebel against your dad. In my case, um, I stayed as a Barcelona fan until one day there was a on the radio you know in Spain radio is a big thing and radio is always on and there was a game uh, where Espanol beat Barcelona like 7-1 or 7-2 something like that. So as a kid I thought oh Espanol is better so I'm gonna become an Espanyol fan now. Uh, that happened to be a friendly in which Barcelona played a, like the B team or something like that but never mind that changed my my cares and then well course which became a cares because I went to Leverkusen. We played the UEFA Cup Final and that was a 24-hour bus trip to, to Leverkusen. It was a UEFA Cup Final. It was home and away. We beat Leverkusen 3-0. Okay. I can see your face, so you probably know what happens here. <laughs> uh, so we, we beat them 3-0. We beaten AC Milan, Inter Milan, the big AC Milan and Inter Milan in the 80s. And um, 3-0. Go to Leverkusen, arrive early had a couple of beers and people were saying, you're gonna win, this is, this is done, don't deal. And, and by the way, nobody is a Leverkusen fan. You know, They give us this season ticket, they, they buy a factory, we don't care about the team, so good luck to you. And, uh, and it was nil-nil at halftime. It was nil-nil at halftime. And then we conceded three goals in the second half. Extra time, we couldn't bring our two best players because our wise manager uh, decided to leave them out of the squad altogether. Uh, that was Valverde, was now a manager, of course, and Lauritsen. They were out. Remember every feat of the game. So stop me here, move me, move me on, because otherwise we'll stay in this game. Because it was it was relevant to the story we're telling. So we lost our penalties and something that was ours was taken away. And that really hurt. Uh, it hurt to see the players, my heroes, crying. Uh, it hurt uh, to see People, all the people crying, this was the first time that we had an option to win something in 60 years and it didn't happen. So the, the return back was, you know, we, we oh, going back with the bus another 20 very long hours. Uh, we did not wear the shirts that said champions of UEFA Cup and the cake that said champions, we just put like in Spanish champions runners up means sub champions you only have to use. Your finger to put sub, uh, so we did that, and I didn't know want to know anything about football after that. Didn't want to do, just just was not interested. I went to England. It was difficult at the time. This is ninety one to actually know the results. I will ring home once a week on a Wednesday. First or second question would be what did the español do? Um, but I wasn't. I didn't care. Uh, and when I did, because I. I wasn't that emotionally attached to football. I thought, which is the team that wins here? Liverpool, all right, I'll become a Liverpool fan. And then they stopped winning. <laughs> um, but football was never, before that, especially after that, I'm trying to perhaps link it to that moment. After that, football never became an obsession or, I didn't want to be a sports journalist,
0: a football journalist. It was not part of my, of my plan. But it's amazing how football can evoke emotions in the individual, and how you, as be it a player, as a coach, a broadcaster, journalist, have a responsibility to kind of evoke that emotion in others.
1: And and yes, there's nothing like it. There mm. is nothing like it. Some of the, having said, we're jumping from really not, not <laughs> being obsessed about football to then becoming the chairman of a football club. Yeah. Um, I've been part of because of United since 2014 and chairman 2019. The defeats and the and the victories. It's like do you don't get a, any other feeling like that? So uh, you you have to be careful that doesn't become everything.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one i'm sorry to interrupt game because you know, obviously in your esteemed broadcasting career, World Cup finals, Champions League finals, some ecstatic moments and some big, big games and players. Was being part of Biggleswede United like the last straw for you in terms of what more can I get out of this game from an emotional point of view?
1: I, I didn't I didn't do it like that. Um, big games, yes. I mean, the that UEFA Cup final was big in a negative way, but we won two Cups after that with Espanol uh, when it wasn't expected. We won the European Championships uh, in, 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 in 2008. And it's like, what? Spain was never ever going to win anything. And then we win the World Cup and, and I was there and I needed players. And then we win the European Championships again, uh, and then being close to the Liverpool people, and and we win the uh, the Champions League in such a way in Istanbul, and I write a book through it. So, that yeah, there has been all these highs, mm. uh, and mostly because I knew the people involved. Not so much because of the result or the performance, but I knew the people that that made those things happen. I knew the goalkeeper coach that I told the goalkeeper of Liverpool how the penalties were going to be taken. Uh, so, because I knew all that, it just made it closer to my heart. But when you actually have got the opportunity to start a project, it doesn't matter how big or small, and you lead the way, and you've got an idea of how we should play, and we've got an idea what type of coaches and what type of players we should have, and, and all that gets reflected on, onto the pitch, and then you win or lose, there's nothing like it. Uh, that was, yeah, professionally, a lot of big stories I could tell you, but, but personally, the biggest emotions I've ever felt on a pitch were with Biggleswade United, for sure. It's quite
0: crazy. And, yeah, you see the Biggles with United jersey over my right shoulder, and it's obviously in your dual role, right, as broadcaster and what you do at Biggles with Over the years, have you become more empathetic to people employed professionally in football? It's a w- good way to put it. Uh, I-, I wanted to understand why they took the
1: decisions they took. So yeah. I got coaching badges from uh, so UFAB and obviously I tried to coach but didn't have the time, uh, and I didn't even have the clothes. So I went to hitching Town, invited me for, for a coaching session, and I went with like a, a, a coat that you shouldn't take for a coaching session. <laughs> I think they looked at me. I thought, what?
0: <laughs> Give us the image. Give us go on.
1: So it's like a, it's like a like a puffy. <laughs> Uh, thing that goes over your head and uh, and, and big, like fashion, like if it was a fashion or long coat that you will wear on a night out in Iceland, you know. Sounds like a gothic Noel
0: Gallagher pair of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that
1: kind of thing. It was that kind of thing. Uh, and then looking back, I'm thinking, of course, I don't belong there. So don't try to be what you're not. You got your coaching badges, great. Um, but perhaps, yes, it would be a good idea to have a foot on the other side. And... As it happens, and timing in life is, is everything, I got an email, like many emails you get, you know, from a lot of people in different walks of life. One of them was from the chairman of Bigelso United at the time saying, we hear you talk about football, you think you know, prove it. So I met him uh, almost immediately in the, in the market square in Hitchin, where I used to live in the Starbucks and came up with a plan uh, of what I wanted to do with the club. Uh, and he was like, yeah, go ahead didn't ask how many people were at the club, how many teams, didn't ask anything. And really we had five or six volunteers at the time, two teams uh, that trained once a week and uh, you know that there were like many other teams in the area step five, historic step five, so ninth division you know they hadn't been down for a long while and I came in with like you know so many ideas of uh, a way of playing, building from the back uh, with coaches, Spanish coaches coming over and invited two of them others came uh, with an academy, blah 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 and it was through the years that you realized the limit of, of that ambition there's no pitches in England, uh, clubs run for volunteers, you depend on the volunteers yeah. on their energy and now we've got almost like 300 people involved for the club and that's fantastic, I would like to take it even further but you have to go at the pace that you're able to. But yes, you're absolutely right. All those things allow me to walk into a changing room and understand what was going on, talk to the coaches at the level, um, but talk as a chairman when I had to, first director of football, then chairman, Uh, talk to the fans, understand what the media, hours and outsiders uh, need, uh, and all that you can then apply to, I would say different things, to the books, when I'm writing about coaching or leading, I know what I'm talking about because I'm in my own little way, I'm putting it in practice. Coaches see me as, a, as one of them. Uh, Unai Emery calls me the uh, a manager's journalist because he, I am interested much more about what the managers have to say than the, what the players have to say. And, and all that has meant that the conversation is quite equal. Mm. Uh, they, I don't go to interview people as much as I go to meet them for dinner and they well they're happy to join me for it because they think somehow that they are also going to get something out of it. Of it's course, not just yeah. then gifting away,
0: but uh, and, and that comes on the back of all those experiences. Yeah, but you exactly that, you wear the sum of all your experiences and that allows you to be authentic once you're authentic, no matter who you're in front of, you become equally relatable. And it was interesting, I'd bring it back to last night. I don't know if she'd be running up when we were at the bar. But, uh, you know, it's funny how the tables have flipped because I've asked that question what is your earliest football memory? Probably 150 times now at this stage, Guillaume. And for the first time ever, the tables are flipped on me. Because I have to say, one of the very first football memories I have was I told you this last night sitting down together as a family watching you do the La Liga Sky Sports show on a Sunday evening. to would be there with my toasted sandwiches, an eight, nine year old kid just watching all these different like exotic Spanish names and it was just so far removed at the time from English and Irish football you'd be accustomed to it was so exotic but uh, the second part after that was Revista de la Liga don't know if you remember it was on a Tuesday night
1: of course I remember yes
0: it was on UK time five thirty six p.m it used to always clash with the dinner slot in our house in the west of Ireland I just had such an affinity at the time for this Valencia away jersey, It's was like blue at the top here. It was like yellow and red stripes. I used to go outside pretending I was Marco Di Vaio, a wow. seven-eight-year-old kid, full head, jet black hair, thinking I'm this bald-headed Italian striker, be shouting Di Vaio, kicking the ball at the garage door. The motors coming outside screaming, "Connor, get the <laughs> yeah. back into the house!" So it's. Uh, let, let me say through the years I've heard
1: many stories about, about those, <laughs> those things and, and how important Spanish football was to people and the fact that they all watched it. Never ever has been explained like this to me, I'm telling you. And I can picture the family sitting around a television to, to watch what, what, what I thought it was interesting to them because it's different, what I didn't realize at the time, but I wanted to do, was to actually give it context, three dimensions, tell, tell stories, tell who these people are. And yes, the exoticism of all of it, I did not realize or never been told to me in the way you explained it, what an impact he had. Mm. Uh, I understand a lot because I, you know, still go around uh, and, and people want autographs and want, want to tell uh, photographs. and want to tell me the story of that story or, or yeah. similar stories. And what an impact he had! Spanish football, uh, and it is what you say because it was so different to everything else that you knew. But it was so well explained. I think we did a really good job on on doing that, and uh, and and opened up the world. We we opened the window to Spanish football and Spanish culture, but it opened up a world for many of many like you, uh, who uh, and and many other coaches who actually have been fascinated by football through it, through Pep Guardiola, through that Valencia, for instance, yeah. and have wanted to be part of it either by going to Spain or learning through coaching, but they wanted to put in practice that coaching they had that had impressed them and in some cases obsessed them when they were kids. So it's amazing. it's amazing that, uh, that all those things happen through,
0: through television and through football it's crazy and I remember as well how your fandom kind of comes into play because I think I told you this too I'm a huge Chelsea fan but anyways sorry <laughs> but uh, you know it was everything back in the day because you had no Twitter the Sky Sports Transfer Centre wasn't really there I remember vividly the January of 2004 Chelsea were so close to signing Joaquin and I was just like you don't know what this guy is going to be absolutely incredible I was watching him doing course for Batiste at the time little Do I know, like, up until last season, he's still playing for the club. 2011, the same noise around Cuneguero going to Chelsea. But then, transfers aside, you have, obviously, Pep Guardiola's Barcelona intertwining with the rivalry between Guardiola and Mourinho. And at a time where football was capped, especially, like, if you're, like, in Ireland and you can get free Champions League on a Tuesday, Wednesday, it's just like, look, we can't get enough of this. I want to watch more La Liga now. I want to see this I want to see this budding rivalry now, oh. and so you're just living vicariously through these people for the weekend. I remember, like it was just
1: yeah, and, and ex- the
0: expectation alone.
1: As you say, yeah, as there wasn't Twitter, not so much information about foreign football in in the newspapers. Uh, the only source of information you had at the time was either me breaking stories about transfers, because uh, News wouldn't be interested hardly about anything else at yeah. the time. So it was transfers only or uh, obviously the Saturday and the Sunday games, and and I would always make sure that as well as analyzing the game, we had a good guest on one hand, and also that we'd tell stories related to to the week or to the teams, and Revista de la Liga. Uh, Revista was uh, an idea I had which is very closely, uh, it's very similar to the radio shows that in Spain uh, take place at midnight. Radio, as I said, a big, big medium, and at midnight is the biggest shows and it is football related shows and there's a little bit of interviews, analysis, uh, all kinds of analysis, technical, tactical, but you've got um, you know, the the, the, the personalised conversations with some of the stars, all that, I thought we should do that and let me take you back to um, to the moment where I entered the sky uh, and how eventually it became Revista, just very quickly, so I had done um, my years in Liverpool, and was doing any journalist that that that, that pay me. Uh, I was doing, you know, writing about Lady D, as we call her, uh, Diana and Camilla and Prince Charles, and and about cinema and cultural stuff and whatever whatever paid. Um, and then in '96, uh, just before the European Championships in England, uh, one of these top radio shows came to London for the, must have been for the draw of the European Championships. And all the journalists came with them. So it was a big show, the big, the massive show in Spain was done in London. And my brother said, should we go? Oh God, I don't know, well, yeah, okay, let's go. And I went and the editor of a magazine called Don Ballon was there, who was a friend of mine, was at university with me. And I said, have you got a correspondent in the UK? No, do you want me to do it? Yeah, okay, Let's, let's do it. So that's 95, 96. Um, and then I started seeing that uh, Sky was doing Spanish football. So I rang the producer. Now. This is how I remember it I spoke to the producer recently. I said it was not like that. I said, well, don't tell me the truth because this is how I remember it And I'm sticking to it <laughs> uh, so I uh, I Rang him Dave Lawrence and I said uh, you're doing Spanish football on Sky. Yeah, yeah uh, I'd write for Don Ballon, which is a football magazine. Can I can I tell the story of what you do and oh yeah come and see us so I I went to the studios in Australia and uh, with clothes that were not mine because I didn't have proper clothes to wear uh, long hair big glasses and uh, and he said right right this is the gallery this is what we do this is the sound this is the director whatever this is the, where the pictures got mixed this is coming up coming up this is the studio presenter David Bobbin and you sit here next to him shows to start in half an hour and you're gonna be our guest this week and he said "Uh, you've done this before so hundreds of times and that was my debut in television i would never ever done it Uh, and at half time he came over and said look we're thinking of doing a highlight show do you want to do it and uh, i said i thought i thought of for like a quarter of a second said yeah i'll do it and that was it that was we called it first spanish football used to have two hours 12, it was to, yeah. you, you would probably weren't born, two hours long, editings of games of 15 minutes, and I will be telling stories to David Bobbin, not to you, not to the audience, not to the guy behind the camera, to David, who did not want to be there. David Bobbin, rest in peace, he did not want to do that job. It was given to him by skies like, ah, I'll do it. He was getting on, he was, he was veteran. So my job was to convince him, to attract him to Spanish football, to actually... Every show was a little bit of a show for David Bowen. He loved it at the end. He absolutely loved it. And little by little, we, we started doing more things. And when David Beckham arrived in 2003, uh, the bosses said, we're going to do a, a, a package, our show. Let's find it a name. I thought Revista de la Liga sounded Spanish enough. But people will know what it was—a bit of a magazine—and um, and we started doing that, and and a lot of things came out in the show. But that was the only source of
0: information you would have had on yeah. the Spanish football. Absolutely incredible! But like we spoke about this again last night, it's the fact that it was—it had so much artistic flavor in it. You could tell, like the likes of yourself, the likes of a Jerry Armstrong were actually contributing to the show. That there was ideas from your end, and it was pretty much bottom up to have such autonomy. You think we'd ever have a football program like that ever again? Could that be replicated even? No, no, no it cannot be replicated. Uh, and, and for many reasons.
1: Uh, one, we were lucky. I mean, I can tell the story now because I'm not in Sky and I will never be in the Sky again. Uh, but uh, basically, Sky did not care much about us, which was a good thing. It was like, do your thing. Uh, and so we tried things. Uh, little by little, I started to come to talk to them. Like we, we need to bring interviews, we need to bring people that are big in Spain and speak English to the shows. So they they let us eventually, and uh, and yeah, we, we it became a bit of a cult show because we talked about players that were coming through. So coaches were watching it. Um, that cultural thing that kids like uh, the, the the wapa moment with the skillful uh, pictures um, you know th- there was all that and sky were like yeah yeah just just keep doing it there was no there was no uh, there was no need to make it look like anything
0: else that was on sky and that that helped the program immensely just purely, purely authentic. And it's amazing the pop-ups. I'm having Ian Hart moving to Levante in 2004. Yes. I remember that cultural piece where I believe you went out and interviewed him, in fact. Yeah, well,
1: yeah. At, at that point, we were big for everyone. yeah, uh, For the audience, but for those players that were going there, they want their story to be told properly. So in 2003, David Beckham goes to Real Madrid. And I was close to him already because I was trying to find out what was going on. He was very helpful. Uh, and... I, I get to know his family, parents were separated at the time, but uh, his mom said, you look after my David. And I realize one of the many times in which I realized there's a personal story to every headline. So this big guy is going to this big club and it's a big story, but his mom wants his kid being looked after. I love that. Uh, so I was supposed to do that, to actually look after David. Or one of the many that did, because of course you're... You don't have the language you go to a new country and a new uh, club like that uh, where I see all the all the uh, Netflix documentaries and I see how well they all talk about David now the former Real Madrid players and I think you're all two-faced yeah. you did not want him there you weren't happy that he came you thought that he was just a mannequin you thought he was a you know somebody who only cared about fashion that's what you told me i heard you say all this i won't tell you who they were but but David actually conquered them so so that had to be told and at, i will i will be going to training and we could see them train and we could talk to them after training and he very humbly passed me his number he's a compulsive text messaging person and we spoke a lot um, one occasion, my back was killing me and uh, and it 's like, "Oh, our physio is really good. just come in get it, it says, David, you cannot ask a journalist to actually go inside the changing room to be treated by the physio. Come on, so he even had to tell him the the, the rules uh, but we went out with him and victoria and and I understood a lot of what he was going through, but then eventually I said right we we we, we need to sit down and talk and 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 do an interview which um which we did, uh, Revista La Liga was a one-hour show at the time. And uh, remember Dave Lawrence still producing the show. Um, we go to Madrid, you know, like here, three cameras and sound man and everything else. And we are in a Spanish restaurant that they serve you the food. First the starters, uh, like the prawns and the ham. And we ask for wine and then comes the meat and then comes the fish and we had all of that. Eventually, Victoria joins us or whatever. And um, so we, we were going on and, and at the end of it, um, I thought this is, this is gold, right? This is gold. What I used to do is spend three days every week in Spain, do an interview like that with other people and that will go into Revista, be like three minutes. So they will you know, get a sentence from me, a sentence from there, it was like three minutes for the show, five minutes maximum. There was no podcast, there was no social media, there was nothing, three minutes. The rest will be thrown away. And I thought, I've been an hour and a half with David Beckham, relaxing here. Both of us a little bit pissed because the wine was really good and it went down very well. And I thought, uh, Dave, this has to be an hour show. No, no, we'll do five minutes. What do you mean five minutes? Maybe 10 minutes, maybe one part. No, this has to be a special David Beckham. So eventually it became a special David Beckham, um, which he's very happy about because again, it was just a guy. At that point, it was just a guy, not David Beckham that we all knew. Um, just making a life in another country that went on um, and I met him a couple of weeks ago and and somebody filmed it I think one of the crews of CBS uh, one of the cameraman filmed it I didn't realize we were being filmed the the look in his eyes is of "Hi mate how are you like a friend and 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 I feel the same towards him Uh, it was a big hog we've seen through the years anyway but uh, but every time we see is like, yeah, there was a time where we looked after each other, and uh, and I'll always be grateful, and I hope his mummies as well.
0: Don't doubt that, and it's very, very rare nowadays, to the best of my knowledge, to have such a relationship between a journalist and a global superstar, and such where you are in fact treated as the close confidant. So it's not it's not a responsibility to be taken lightly either. No, but. If you do it once, twice, three times, four times,
1: ten times, it's because whatever is the the unwritten rules that I use mm-hmm. for these relationships are the right ones. Yeah, and I think it has to do with you use two percent of what you know, uh, but it's enough, uh, and and it's the kind of stuff that helps, not that 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 kills people. Um, the the there is the feeling, as I said earlier, that I, I'm a I'm a different type of, I don't know, communicator, um, I, t- I try to tell another story, not just the, the the headline story, another story, and and at the end just imagine yourself, I mean, you of course are in football, so imagine yourself actually being in La Liga or in the Premier League, and everything you do is, is, is talked about, it's in the papers, it's in radio, people that you never met and never going to meet are talking to you about that, wouldn't you want somebody to actually develop a relationship with that person and, and and get the story told properly and that's that's what's happened with so many through the years with rafa with with pochettino with uh with david beckham with uh you know so
0: on and so forth final final finally with uh, with leo messi as well it's absolutely crazy i was just going to mention like you've been there for beckham the player Beckham the superstar beckham the owner yeah and speaking yeah. of synchronicities with the great man to your left-hand side, the latest project being the latest addition on the career of Lionel Messi, which, like Messi and Beckham coming together like a tour de force here in the magic city that is Miami. I mean, Guillaume, you would have had a first-row seat to that transfer more than anyone else to.
1: Well, I, I, I broke the news of him joining Inter. Uh, I wouldn't say by accident. Those things don't happen by accident. But it's funny how it happened, as, uh, as we're talking about anecdotes and stories because obviously, I had I had been told the whole real story about Barcelona, the fake interest, uh, you can call it that, and, and the fact that uh, Leo wasn't falling for it, while everybody else was reporting that that he's about to join Barcelona almost. The Saudi Arabia interest as well, but of course, that, that at some point, Inter were almost there. The end of May, according to to Jorge Mas, the the co-owner of Inter Miami, at the end of May, he wasn't sure if Leo was gonna say yes. Because Jorge, Messi's dad, had actually put everything in place, everywhere, for him to actually decide where he was gonna go, which is a difference to his time at PSG, because he did not have much of a choice there. And I think when you go to a place that you kind of, you you know, not forced, but certainly, that you hadn't thought about it properly, you don't enjoy it as much as you know, coming to into Miami, and you can see how happy he is. So, all all those things were happening. I knew the background. I knew the story. I was preparing the uh, the updated book, uh, and and then that message that allows you to go publicly with it arrived while I was playing pool, and uh, and I was losing. And uh, my friend um, uh, smoked. So I said, "Would you just go out for a cigarette, please?" Uh, I need to sort this out, and I just put a tweet out, and then I call him back so we can keep playing pool, and I won, so I, I was happy with that. That was the biggest part that happened that day, and and yes, it's then it obviously became it became huge, and you know everybody picked on it, and uh, I, but as you say, it was uh, what a what a what a mix of um, superstars but as as today Xavi Asensi, the uh, uh, one of the directors of fin was yeah. was saying uh, he uh, you know that the stars aligned you know a year earlier or two years later, wouldn't have happened. but at that point it did happen and and I think everybody's very happy with that
0: yeah, exactly. and look for me, it's a case of you look at the age of Lionel Messi now and what an esteemed career I mean. For me, the greatest to ever play the game. But you'd expect at his age to be slowing down. If, not, if anything at all, things have been speeding up since the 2021 Copa America win, Barcelona exit, PSG, the ongoing PSG, the World Cup win, the PSG exit, into Miami. It just doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. Either. Yeah, but if, if you will recognise these
1: as a coach. There are players where you don't have to tell them anything. Mm. They come out into, tra- into the, the train session and they're ready, and they finish the training session having done, having given everything. You know those players. When are you gonna tell that player, right, slow down now, or go slower now, or don't go so hard? You can't. So in the case of Messi, he who, during the years, had to identify where his body was and how far he could take it. Uh, there was a time when he had to, you know, as a, as a kid had to stop drinking Coca-Cola and, and, and eating pizzas. Um, And then he got to a point where he had to go to a nutritionist in Italy when he was in his mid twenties because he had injuries. And then he realized that he had to do a little bit more gym. So all those things mean that he knows his body perfectly well. And now he's in a place where he can actually push himself to a limit. And that, you know, trains very, very well because he knows that how you train is how you play. But obviously on a game, Needs the right conditions for his talent to shine, and when you have that talent, you better create those conditions. Argentina have done it with a with a whole squad that look at him in awe. That's important because they do the extra mile for him, and they win for him, and they they, he, they let him lead. That had not happened with Argentina before and And now with Inter Miami you've got a team that is surrounded he's surrounded by friends. Luis Suárez. Oh, sorry, he hasn't arrived yet. You um, can't be revealing that game. Sorry. Well, there you are. That's your exclusive for the, for the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, with with obviously Alba, with uh, Sergi Busquets, so with David, who they've been in touch with, and I was trying to think the other day. I think I I, I actually arranged something that David asked me to do, that Leo had to do, and then kind of put them together just just came to me um but they've been in touch for a while in the way that football players are in touch, maybe now through Instagram a little bit more and and yeah um he he's surrounded by good people. the context is being developed into miami mm. um I think everybody's shocked by what he means and what he is and what he brings yeah uh the m l s apple t v adidas even. And certainly into miami and the media around into miami everybody's shocked. I think he's also trying to come to terms with, you know, he was in elite football in, in, in Europe and now he's at a, a different brand of football with a stadium that is not theirs and, and a bunch of things. But um, slowing down, maybe not, but certainly now he's going to push his body to actually get the team to win. He's going to do that.
0: It's incredible, too. I visited uh, the Inter-Miami campus August 2022 and going back there yesterday, which is November 2023, like, it's insane to see the change in the space of a year of what one individual can have, the domino effect on a club. And, in fact, at the GIS course yesterday up in Fort Lauderdale, uh, the sporting director, Chris Henderson, in fact, you know, he acknowledged that with the oncoming of Messi, that uh, the goalkeeping coach of Inter-Miami received a very stern phone call from Mr. Messi, the morning of his first game at 7am, asking him why hadn't the goalkeeping report been done for him? He was there at 7am drinking mate and it's like, it's interesting the effect one individual can have. It's like the coming of the Beatles. I mean, at Socrex today, was every second or third word not about the great man himself? Yeah, 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 absolutely.
1: absolutely. And you get it obviously with Messi, I don't want to compare him to Cristiano, but Cristiano Mm. has has got the same effect. Uh, doing the uh, biography of Cristiano, many of the coaches at, uh, at Manchester United were saying, not said Alex, because he didn't dedicate himself to coaching, but the coaches that he brought, it'd be like, we run out of exercises. we run out of things to do. But, and there was and again, there was on the internet that will give you all this, or YouTube will give you all these options. So uh, Cristiano will just pass by where the coaches were, always those open, of course, and he will shout, Tomorrow more, eh? You no, know, that was that was a bit rubbish today. Which will be like, ah, come on, Cristiano. But everybody went on their toes, and the coaches have been telling me until one or two or three in the morning, just making sure that what was going to happen the next day was going to be top, because you're talking about pure elite, and it made everybody better. But multiply that commercially and media-wise by by I don't know ten or hundred or something. I mean. With Messi winning the World Cup and coming and coming to Miami, you were talking
0: about something that I don't think anybody was prepared for. No, and again, kind of looking off the field, which I'm very, very interested about. I think you've been at the heart of the movement that's sought to humanize the man. You know, instead of the footballer, and what the the, the depiction that's come out in the last few years is, he's a real family man. He cares so much about his wife and sons, but also at the heart of it too, is a real intimate soul and. You know, reading the book today, which I received kindly from uh, William okay. reading the last chapter. It's it's amazing how much he puts his soul on the line. And I cast you back to the night before Argentina, Mexico, that six hour mate chat with Rodrigo de Paul. Yeah, absolutely fascinating.
1: Yeah. And, and how they change each other's mind because he goes down, he goes low. He, he doubts like everybody else does, of course. But that is what DePaul and others did in those moments. No, no, come on, let's go, come on, up, come on, up. And, uh, and that's why everybody's great is grateful that they had that surrounding and that group and that energy being created uh, where nobody was allowed to, to get away. Nobody was uh, isolated. Nobody was inside a negative thought for too long. And, and yeah, uh, sometimes it happened to Spain in 2010 as well at the feet just uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. M- makes everybody uh, feel closer and in terms of uh, of his personality he's so I presented about eight events commercial events with him and since he was 22 or 23 a- and I could see the difficulties at the time of communicating and he, he will be really relaxed with kids around kids in the green room this is where where you actually are before you come in on on stage but but How hard it was for him to actually having to speak in front of public and, and the microphone to be very, very, very close to his voice to his lips because he will just be very quiet. To now, Ballon d'Or, where he was just in total command of the stage, he was happy to be there, he, he was just prepared a little bit, but his speech he wasn't reading it, so there's been a, a big advancement on it. And in temp- and and parallel to that, I think he has felt uh comfortable opening up a little bit and i remember when he came to paris uh, he gave a bunch of like five six minutes interviews to uh to some of the media there um chosen media in china and japan and spain and and i was one of the privileged ones to do it for the bbc And i thought you know i'm not gonna ask him about why this happened and his tears living in barcelona I'm not going to ask him about, you know, meeting ne- Neymar and Mbappé. So I started with, like, how are you kids, basically? How, how are they taking it? I mean, how are they, because you just arrived from Barcelona. And, and that type of conversation, I think, may have surprised many uh, because he, I think he forgot that we were filming that. Um, and, and as a consequence, as you say, uh, it's allowed for people to realize that behind the, the GOAT or whatever you want to call him, um, the winner, the serial winner, you've got, a, you've got a person with his own limitations and doubts and everything else.
0: Incredible. And, you know, if he didn't do enough, I supposed to win the affection and adoration of many Argentinians with the 2021 Cup America win, it was interesting because I in the last World Cup to that of the Bronco and the Bobo. Bronco Venus, famous Argentinian trait, we'll speak on. Bobo being poor Vout Veghorst. But, anyways, we'll begin with the Bronco. Again, you look at players like Debo Martinez, Christian Romero, Lissandro Martinez. You see this fury in him. You see this like proper Argentinian passion and pride. I was so surprised <laughs> to see this emanating from Messi. I was just saying, this guy has turned the table. And you know what? I would say, him showing this wouldn't say nasty, but perhaps a little bit dark side last winter in Qatar. don't know if you agree. Even endeared him more, not only to the Argentinian public, but the world in terms of just this guy will do whatever it takes to help his country win this World Cup. I'm pretty sure it, it wasn't the first time, and it won't be the last time that he will react
1: to things that happen on a pitch, especially, you know, you, you, you know what it's like when, when you come out of the pitch. But there were cameras there. Um... He kind of didn't mind that they were, because that's what he wanted to do at that time, and he wasn't playing to the camera at all. Uh, yes, we all have a side that you know that we, we try to keep under wraps, but as I said, you know, when the heart is going 100 miles an hour, they, this could come out. But it was also the consequences as I explained in the book of the atmosphere that he had around, of the group that was formed, that was kids. From the streets of Buenos Aires, it feels like, or Rosario, um, that uh, allowed their essence, the way of being, to reflect on everything that happened on the pitch. We know Argentinians are clever on a on, on pitch. We know that they they maximize the potent, their potential and they they play with the, with, the, with the edge of the rules, not just Argentinians, Latins, that's what we do. On the pitch and off the pitch, if we can get away with no paying taxes, we will do that, and these are heroes that's how that's how Latins think It's wrong, but that's how we think and they they've got all that, they've got the cleverness, they've got the cheekiness, they've got the 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 rules have not been written for us and they and the confidence to actually go onto the pitch and thinking we can beat anybody. All that gets reflected in that moment when Leo uh, basically says. Uh, you know what are you looking at? what are you looking at um, to the to the Dutch player and and uses the word Bobo, which is like idiot but the word Bobo is only used by kids so it's like the the Rosario kid that at thirteen you left Barcelona is the one that you're listening to at that point is the kid because you're surrounded by kids like that as well who mm. talk like that, who behave like that who then when they realize that Leo was upset about the player, these Argentinian footballers, teammates, surrounded him. And, uh, and kind of, you know, like you would do in the street. So that is also why I feel the, uh, the win was big, because he was the perfect leadership in the ideal group, under the perfect conditions, and with a manager that understood all that. The hardest thing in, in football is that everybody thinks the same way. And Argentina have been doing that for a long time. So that's why, obviously, they're favourites for the Copa America. And I think Leo will play another World Cup. Really? We'll see. I think so. I no mean, no, no, no evidence of it at all. Zero evidence. But he feels so comfortable going back with Argentina. Uh, for as long as he can win games without running a lot, and he can do that for another four or five years,
0: can he? Then, yeah. then we may see him still in another World Cup, maybe. It's an interesting one to think about it because, again, you could call it a bit of a coincidence, but since the parent in Barcelona, for me, he never seemed to really settle into life in Paris with PSG, but any time he went home to Buenos Aires and, in fact, Rosario, it seemed to give him something that he was missing. It seemed to be brief moments of respite that he was taking, 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 and then
1: Yeah, Um, but it wasn't always, uh, but little by little, especially with the arrival of Scaloni, um, so in the last three years or so, that's when it all clicked. Before that, there were different leaderships, um, there were different groups, different ways of thinking about what to do on the pitch, a lot of things that didn't allow Argentina to click. Um, And basically, yeah, uh, he will, in the last two or three years, he's been going back to Argentina with looking forward to it and now that I've just done it from Barcelona to Miami and I'm shattered because <laughs> uh, of the flight and the, fact and, the, and the jet lag and everything else I'm thinking how do they do it because of course they go for a week and then they go back to their own well not so much now that is Miami but they go back to Europe and, and you know so in the Ballon d'Or he actually arrived to Paris 8.30 in the morning did the Ballon d'Or thing flew at midnight and was training the next day, so so how did they do that? Obviously, fit people, but uh, but yeah, there was there was all that. And you're absolutely right in that it helped that with Argentina he was enjoying himself because he wasn't with PSG. Uh, he went to Paris, Paris with with um, with no much of a choice. Uh, had to sort it all out in three days, and there was no other. It, We're talking beginning of August, everybody's made their mind up about teams and et cetera. And it's Messi who's coming in, you have to create the conditions for Messi. So anyway, um, he went to Paris, had to spend a month and a half in hotel, I've been to the hotel, massive hotel, brilliant, you know, the room was huge, but he got three kids that don't stop and he had to get into a van to go to training and that's an hour each way Uh, and the weather wasn't great and finding the house wasn't great and then he got COVID, he got injured, he got COVID, bad COVID, Uh, It took him a while to recover and all that meant that that the first season was gone and he hasn't picked at all. And then change of manager and, and again different ways of thinking about the game, Neymar doing his move, Mbappé wanting everything to go around him. Leo trying to mix with all that it just didn't work I think the only the manager that got the best out of the three of them by taking a little bit of each one of them and and, and creating a collective idea more or less was Pochettino mm. but wasn't given time to continue uh, you you know uh, PSG is either win the Champions League or disaster and that means that you cannot build they're thinking a little bit different about it but and I do believe, genuinely believe, and I've asked this, that if Luis Enrique had arrived earlier, Leo would have considered staying at PSG because he thinks he still belongs to the top elite. But things, you know, as a friend of mine says, things happen for a reason.
0: But you know, too, the start and middle of Leo Messi's career, it, it, look, it wasn't smooth sailing game, but nonetheless it was infatuated with success. In two, three years there is pretty much... Pfft, Roller coaster up, down, even the last season at Barcelona and the infamous Bayern Munich loss. But then it almost seems as though the guy, you know, finished his superhero arc last December in Lucille. And to let you a little bit into the experience of a fan that was removed from it, Johnny, who was with you today in the Uber, <laughs> coming here, uh, both him and me were in Toronto watching a semi final against Croatia. There wasn't one sinner in that bear that day game that wanted a Croatian victory at all. Mm-hmm. So much so, I was flying home later that night back to Ireland for Christmas. In the airport cubicle, Messi chance breaking out. Absolutely nuts. I felt it as much watching the final with my father on the Sunday. It was just ominous. It was just like the only outcome. There wasn't anyone in world football that believed, apart from the French, that they had, Le Bleu had a speck of chance of winning. What was it like in a stadium? That
1: well, l- let me say first that uh, that was Leo in a final and hoping to win it was your story mm. because you saw Leo coming through as a 17 year old in the first team. You saw him succeeding. You saw him with Pep reaching highs that we never seen. It was your story. And you fell in love with football and you started your coaching career and all this is parallel. And then, of course, this friend of yours that uh, that you see through the through the television, called Leo Messi, uh, goes through hardship. By the way, the perfect story. You have to have conflict. You have to have difficulties to beat. And then, you know, f- we're thinking this could be the last World Cup. This could be the last group stage that he's in. This could be the last quarterfinals. This could be the last final. And, uh, and he wins it for you. So you won it. We all won it. Because we have been so close to him that, and we understand, some of the difficulties that he's had, some of the things that he had to beat, uh, some of the pressures that he has to deal with. So obviously we wanted him to win it because he was as winning it with him. He was. He's the guy that made us fall in love with football. Uh, for people of your generation, it was the guy that that made you not only fall in love with football, you wanted to replicate that somehow. You wanted to be part of that world. And for him to win it, and that way, um, it's it's just the, 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 the perfect ending. You were saying
0: that you, you read the last chapter. I was in the Uber today, coming back to the apartments, reading the last chapter, and it was—it's captivating, but it's—it's it's like fiction. It's no, it's honestly too good to be true. Yeah. Knowing the journey up until this point. Yeah, yeah. That's why I wouldn't want to update it anymore, because <laughs> that's it. That's
1: it. But he is capable of going to another World Cup and win it. Uh, so you know, I probably will have to update it again.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, there's plenty of milestones along the way, of course, with Inter-Miami gunning for a maiden MLS title next season, the Copa America obviously going to be hosted here in North America, with Miami being a key city too for the 2026 World Cup. I mean, you've done such a brilliant job documenting the journey of Messi from shy boy to global superstar to the next incarnation, of family man, but what's the next iteration of Lionel Messi? The next thing for him. Yeah. After football.
1: um, Football more more football ownership mm, well I, I don't think he's that uh, interested about it now but you know David Beckham has done a very good job of, without being in the day-to-day of it to direct operations in a way or at least you know to give it not just glamour but give it give it content so maybe he decides to do something like that um certainly he's got it in his mind to be like director of football at barcelona or something like that and every time he says it i'm thinking You've got no idea what that implies <laughs> because there's a lot of calls, there's a lot of trouble, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. What he wants to do really is to be the advisor of the chairman and to bring him and say, look, uh, there's this player that is very good, you should get him. I think that's what he wants to do. But, but in any case, it'll be something related to football. He doesn't see football as, you know, like many players, when they retire, they're like, I had enough and I know many of them. I couldn't tell you the percentage, but it's a big one. They don't want to play football anymore. They had enough. And every time they bend down or they're going to pick something from the floor or, or they woke up in the morning, they're in pain because of bloody football. Yes, it was their career, but they burned out. There's many of them. Uh, not the case of Leo. Uh, he, uh, I do say in the book, that somebody will take the ball off him. But I was debating with that sentence because it's like, but they won because he'll get it back. And of course, once he gets it back, you cannot get it off him because he'll dribble you. But you know metaphorically I was trying to say football will move on mm. top football um, and then we will we will all feel orphans because even if he advises and does interviews or those documentaries or does his autobiography or whatever we'll never see him kick a ball again we won't travel anywhere to go and see Leo Messi kick a ball and we will not see another Leo Messi in our
0: lifetime uh, that's that's obvious yeah, I think you have to mark your words now too. Like, But, I mean, turning the tables on you, game, I mean, I think it's been a captivating story in terms of, you know, beginning as that kid that got the Christmas ball, it got the football for Christmas, to moving to Liverpool as a student, to working your way into broadcasting, the early days of Revista. You know, we speak of next iterations, but football nowadays and social media...
1: Uh, I go back, nice back to this country. idea that I, I don't love football, I, it's not my passion, um, so I, I see it from a little bit of distance. Yeah. Um, it hurt me, there was there was, uh, there was a time where I was one of the early ones to have a web page, I was one of the early ones to go on Twitter and and at first Twitter was a place for communication, conversation, breaking news. I didn't have to do it uh, because I could have just rang Sky Sports News for it, but what I always did is, like, at the same time as I put it out on Twitter, Sky Sports News will, will know about it and will do a phone call on it, so it'll be like similar time. Obviously, I, I see that I saw the potential of Twitter and helped me improve my career because people knew what I was doing instead of me telling them every time I met them. And and now in soccer eggs, the amount of people that come over is like, oh, congratulations on your career and. Uh, I love what you're doing or I keep watching you and whatever and you're
0: thinking if it wasn't because of social media, they, people wouldn't know what I do. If you mind me asking, what's that like? Because it's the woman in the red dress for an animal. <laughs> More people know you than you know them. Like, It's, it's every time I, I get something like that, it's a clap
1: in the back. It's like, well done. And who doesn't like a well done? Hmm. Uh, it, it, it's that. And if I've influenced even, you know, 0.1% of anybody's life somehow, what a what a success that is, but but yeah, you, you, were, saying, you were talking about social media. So, I, I, the first time I realized something had changed was when Fernando Torres goes to Chelsea, and I broke the news. And I was I was a I'm, a, I'm an adopted scouser. I've been lived I lived there for ten years. I love the club. Uh, would be my English club if I didn't have Biggles or United. And and everybody turned against me. Liverpool fans, death threats. You could get into direct messages. I think at the time I was getting all kinds of insults, and it's like well, I've just told your story. I've just told you what happened. It's, you know, don't kill the messenger. And it took me a while for f- f- to process that, where that came from, and that I shouldn't be affected by it. it took me, it took me seven, eight years. Uh, but now I'm in a position where I use Twitter OX X to. Um, to promote what I do, to put out stuff there, I still got million followers or whatever. I still got an audience, um, so I use X more than the other way around. It, w- it used to be a lot of fun, but but now it's
0: it's a different thing. So my question then is, and you spoke about the idea, the belief of not liking football. What sustains you? What gives you joy from the game? The possibility of telling stories is as simple as that. I mean
1: to be invited at Soccer X to talk about my book was like wow great yeah thank you or you know when I used to tour with the books that, that William organized uh, for five years it was fantastic I got to Belfast, Birmingham, Dublin, Manchester we had 800 people in Glasgow it was just amazing and the, and the, the report that you get from people stories that you were describing earlier so there was there's all that that, uh, that I love, um, the, the possibility of, of work, working for the BBC regularly, having a, a podcast with them or, or doing specials for them or, or then go to Mikel Arteta and says, you, you and I have to sit down, people need to know you and, and we will do that because it's like, yeah, you're right, let's do that. So you use the fact that, as you say, everybody knows you in the game to, uh, to tell stories and that's, that's the thing. So I've got two more books, to, three more books to come out, four more books, four more books. Yeah, four. Um, can you <laughs> can one you is really the, going to be in Spanish captains of Barcelona uh, sorry captains of Barcelona uh, men and women about leadership about what it means to be a captain of a club like that that will come out in April I'm um, updating the Cristiano Ronaldo book I've got two more that I cannot tell you about because that's that's medium term if you like but contracts have been signed so that's great um, and I think that's where I'm heading just the possibility of you know uh, doing all these things, CBS, Champions League, travel around and, and telling stories in documentary shape or live television. Telling stories, that's the, uh, that's the hook.
0: And for people that are that slightly bit inspired, which I know you've inspired countless people to pursue a career in broadcast and media, you know, people that want to go down this route of combining storytelling with the emotionality that is inherent in football, what would be the one bit... Of key advice you'd have for them? Be, be a storyteller
1: first. So hone your talent, your skills. Uh, people are obsessed about doing the new revista or doing my job or being a sports journalist. No, a football journalist. No, a, a, an elite football journalist. No, a, a football journalist from La Liga. No, a football journalist from Barcelona. And it's like. Just be, just be a, a storyteller, a writer, whatever it is that you think is your yeah. talent, and then let 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 the world, because let the world tell you where. As uh, Pochettino told me once in the book we did, it's like throw things up in the air, and the universe will will, will place you in, in you those things in its place, and you will be also in a in a happy place if if you do the work that it requires to to get to where you want to get to. So, just don't get obsessed about where you heading, just uh, just
0: create a platform in which you can choose where you head. I think storytelling really isn't befitting of you, Guillaume. I think it's more of the alchemist that you are, Guillaume Balaguer. I mean, hmm. this has been an absolute pr- privilege of mine to sit down with yourself and like go through your own career today. And in fact, go through the latest edition of a book I would have swallowed whole as a kid. So again, Guillaume, I can't thank you enough for joining me today on the show. Thank you for your empathy and the time you dedicated to prepare this. And uh, the setup is amazing. So thank you very much for that too. Cheers, Connor. Thanks again.